Amen. Man, I tell you what, just uh, reflecting back on this week, I'm so thankful for you, church, and for your uh, your prayers for all of the church family and for one another. I'm thankful for our brother Al and Dale who came and uh, took care of the sound and everything. Uh, brother Chris and Nick uh, led in the funeral for Miss uh, for Mr. D. A. Cole, and I'm thankful for these guys up here, aren't you? Uh, Mr. Robert also getting us live on Facebook. If you're watching on Facebook, thankful for these uh, for these young men. Um, do be in prayer for our Keaton tonight. He's going to be preaching uh, God's word, I believe, at Howard's Chapel. Is that right? <laughs> I think he's going to Howard's Chapel for the evening service. So be in prayer for him. Be coming from Matthew 28. And so uh, be in prayer for Keaton. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We continue our, our study through this great book of joy. Life is a fight for joy. Amen? It is a fight for joy. we we got to... Walking the journey of life is hard. It's got ups and downs and um, mountaintops experiences. And it's uh, it's got a lot of valleys. It's got a lot of hardship in it as well. It's, there's suffering that the Lord has called us into and that we will endure. But with Him, as our, as our Savior, as our Shepherd... As our leader, we're able to endure that and know that He is at work in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering. Um, and He calls us to live lives that reflect His good name. Philippians chapter 2. I, I want to pick back up in verse 1 and read this in its context. We'll go down to verse 18. And then this morning we'll focus on verses 12 to 18. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, a bondservant, being born in likeness of men, and being, being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Pray with me this morning. Father, we pray in these next few moments that you would turn our minds' attention and our hearts' affection to you, Lord. This great text of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus that we looked at last week, Lord, we pray that we would consider now the implications that come from that. So by your Spirit, work among your people. Here this morning and even through Facebook, those brothers and sisters that are not able to be with us this morning, we thank you for them. So be honored, be glorified, and move by your Spirit through the preached Word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verses 12 to 18, as I shared, uh, is, is implications, practical implications of really this great hymn shared in verses 5 through 11. What you see in verses 5 through 11, we didn't have the time last week, but uh, later on and in the future, we'll, we'll look at the doctrine of Christ, especially on Wednesdays. The doctrine of Christ is laid out very clearly in verses 5 through 11. The, the humiliation of our Lord. Jesus humbled Himself and took the form of a servant. Right? We would see that displayed in the upper room with those disciples. They didn't understand what was going on. He would wash their feet. The lowliest of tasks. But we see His coming down, leaving, stepping out of heaven and relinquishing some of His majesty and veiling His glory before the disciples and the world that He lived in then. He was still fully God, but He was fully man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on the cross. And therefore, what did God do? He exalted Him. He exalted Him and gave to Him a name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I love what S.M. Lockridge, old pastor, passed away in the 80s out in California. Every knee. He says this, the, the young knee, every knee, the old knee, every knee, the white knee, every knee, the black knee, every knee, the wounded knee, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the church says, Amen. We confess that this morning, don't we church? That Jesus Christ is Lord. He humbled Himself to the cross and God exalted Him. We learned last week as well that just as Jesus got up out of that grave as we read Ephesians chapter 2, so did you. So did I. When Jesus rose from the dead, we rose with Him for our lives were hidden in Christ. That's good news. That's great hope, right? In the midst of pain and suffering. In the midst of what the Philippians were facing and what we face in life. That even death now, as hard as it is, and it is hard, 
it is hard to go through that separation, that there is great hope. For our lives are secure in Christ. And as Paul says, to be absent the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We're with Him. And one day our earthly body that lay in the grave, whether it is buried, whether it is cremated, whatever, one day God will raise it up. And we'll be reunited with Him and have a heavenly body that will last for all eternity to worship Him, to praise Him, to work and serve in His kingdom. That's a good day, church. We look forward to that day. Amen? Amen. So here, Paul now turns, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, with a pastoral tone, Paul was such a good pastor. And I hope to, I hope to learn more and more from, the, from, from Paul what it is to be a pastor that I would continue to grow in that. But he says, therefore, my beloved. Man, it's just a loving tone, right? Listen, may we be a loving people, not just pastorally, but as a congregation. One of the things I love about Bethlehem Baptist Church is you love one another, right? We need to continue to grow in that. In order to love one another, we must forgive one another. We must suffer with one another. We must uh, share our hurts and concerns with one another so that we may grow and mature. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And so, not being there with him. Remember, Paul is in prison. So Paul teaches us a lot here in this text this morning about the life of a disciple, about discipleship. The whole tone is from a loving pastoral heart. As he says, my beloved, my dear friends, he loves the Philippians. So I've reflected this week. I've thought about this. Church, I love you. I'm growing and getting to know you more and more. And I love you. Paul loves the church at Philippi. And he loves them enough to exhort them with a strong, strong word. Strong words in the spirit of a shepherd. These are the implications. This is now what you do. Right? I grew up uh, in a family. My dad was in the army, as I've, I've shared before. And so it was a yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, you do what you're told when you're told to do it with a good attitude. Right? That's the what obedience. That's what I taught. That's what I was taught obedience was. To do what you're told, when you're told to do it, and you do it with a good attitude. But if we're real honest, I did what my daddy told me to do many times. But inside, whether he was telling me to stand up, Stand up. I told you to stand. If you don't stand up, I'm going to discipline you, right? Because he wouldn't say, I'm going to discipline you. He'd say, I'm going to, I'm going to jerk a knot in your bottom. You ever heard that one? <laughs> I'm going to jerk a knot. I'm going to whip your hind end, right? And I would stand up. And my mom would say, I'm glad you listened. I'm proud of you. And inside, I was thinking, yeah, well, I wanted, I, I'm, I'm rebelling inside, right? It's not natural for us to to listen to instruction and then to do. But there's connections in this passage to what God did through His Son in verses 12 and 13. I mean, in verses 5 through 11 in the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus. So He connects the work in verses, in our verses here, 12 and 13, with then 14 and 15 about avoiding God, avoiding grumbling and complaining. So we see that salvation is a work of God 
And really what we're talking about this morning is, is sanctification. And it's not just individually, it's communal. It's communal. It's much more than just me and my life. We're very self-centered people naturally. So he connects God's work and our work, as we'll see in verse 13, with not complaining and grumbling, but then shining as lights in the world. Shining bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the title of my messages. Shine bright for Christ. How do we do that in this world? And then in verses 16 and 18, he connects sacrifice and rejoicing. Living a sacrificial life with joy. So let's consider how to shine the brightest for Christ in the time we have this side of glory. Three points this morning. In verses 12 and 13, we'll see that we must live a disciplined life. If we're going to uh, shine bright for the Lord, we must live a life of discipline. Of discipline. Now this is not natural. We don't, we're just not naturally geared to discipline ourselves. We'll talk about that. Verses 14 and 15, we'll see that we must live a, a life of determination and dependence. To purpose in our heart, to have some grit about us, men and women, but also to be dependent upon the Spirit of God because we're insufficient in ourselves and rely upon His Word that He's given us in our language. We're blessed people. Amen? So we must live a life of determination and dependence. And lastly, in verses 16 and 18, we'll see that we must live a life of joyful and sacrificial obedience. Joyful and sacrificial obedience. This passage is talking about the lifelong journey of sanctification. Of communal sanctification. What I mean by communal? That, that our lives are not to be lived out individually. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I don't like about like this. Like we're in our cars and we're separated. We're not able to be together. That's why it's so good to meet together. And we will again very soon. Just hang in there. But we need to see one another. We need to rub elbows with one another. Right? We're not called to live on islands by ourselves, but to be in relationship and fellowship with one another. This is what God has designed in His Word. But sanctification, being changed, being set apart to be conformed into the image of the Lord is a hard process. But it's worth it all, church. It's worth it all. All the pain, all the suffering you endure, all the sickness, all the separation because of death, it will be worth it all one day. Hang in there. Hang in there. Live a life of discipline. Verses 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, therefore is linking us back to what He has said in the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus, as I've already said. And this is important to grasp, grasp to understand the connection between the sovereignty of God, He is good, and our responsibility to respond in faith and as a believer, to continue to walk in faith and obedience to the Lord and to His commands. Notice the text does not say in verses 12 and 13, let's read it. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. For who? or His good pleasure. So what we see here that the text doesn't say is work to acquire your salvation. 
Work to be born again. Do this and do that and you will be made right with God. No, that's not what it says. For God has done His bit. This is what we think sometimes. God, you've done your portion and now it's uh, all up to me. Nor does it say this. You may already have your salvation, but now perseverance and sanctification is dependent upon you. That is false, right? It's not dependent upon us. Still less, it doesn't say let go and let God. Have you seen that? I've seen bumper stickers with that. Just let go and let God. No, that's unbiblical as well. We're not to let go and let God. We have a part to play in this life now as His children, as His called and chosen ones to walk in obedience. The Spirit will carry you. Just let go and let God. Just relax. The Spirit will carry you. Carry you. No. Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling precisely because of this. God is working in us both to will and to act according to what? His good purpose for the work of His good pleasure. His good purposes. Right? That's what He's doing. See, God, God is not working merely to strengthen us in our willing and acting. Paul's language here is stronger than that. God Himself is working in us both to will and to act. He works in us at the level of our wills and at the level of our doing. But far, but far more this being a disincentive to press on, right? We press on in holiness and godliness. Paul insists that this is, this is the incentive. That is God who is in us. So we're assured as we are that God works in a way in you and me as His people that we should be all the more strongly resolved to will and act in ways that please our Master. So that's a lot. I said a lot there. So let me bullet down and just South Georgia country understanding. God saved us by awakening our hearts by the Spirit of God. He saved us. And He has worked in us a great salvation. And now in this life, what He wants to do with us relying upon Him, relying upon the Spirit and obedience to the Word, He wants us to work out that salvation through our actions, through our attitudes in submission to Him. He saved us and He is saving us. He's in us, working, changing our thinking. See, as a man thinks, so is he, the Bible says. But what changes our thinking? The Spirit of the Lord in the Word of God. As it comes into our hearts, we talked about last year, last week, about marinating, right, on God's Word. As it, as it comes in and it changes us, changes our thinking, our actions will change. Well, what's the, what's the result of our actions? Consequences. Good or bad, right? Good consequences, bad consequences. Based on action. And our actions should be governed and led by working out our salvation. So we're working out what God has worked in. Does that make sense? Amen? Or anybody lost a couple thumbs? There we go. Just make sure you're with me there. It's hard, man. It's, the sun's coming up, so there's a glare on the window, so I can't see everybody real well. So I love what one commentator, he summarizes it well. It says, It is the fact that both our willing and our doing lie beyond our own resources and can be found only in God's working that makes this whole project a matter of fear and trembling. This is good. The combination of fear with trembling, perhaps we could 
say or express fear expressed and trembling refers to a sober attitude that results from recognizing both our inadequacy we're insufficient and the life or death significance of the situation in which we find ourselves remember remember this Paul first brought God's word to Corinth not with not with real flattery speech right he wasn't a great orator or eloquence of the Greek coming with a bunch of rhetoric. No. But Paul says, in weakness and fear and much trembling. Such a sobering fear, however, should not be confused with the abject terror that made the guilty Adam flee from the Lord's presence. See, there's a part of that fear as well. Jesus, we understand now, bore our guilt and endured God's wrath for us to be set free those who through fear of death were subjected to lifelong slavery. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. So if we are trusting in Christ, we need not fear that God will reject us for our failures. Right? He saved us from our past, our present, and our future sin. We're secure in the Lord. That's good. Amen? God is at work. But as Christians... Brothers and sisters here this morning and on Facebook, our church family, listen. We're aware that wholehearted obedience that Jesus deserves is so far beyond us that we cannot let our hearts drift away from Him, but rather cling for dear life to the promises of God's Word and the presence of His Spirit. Cling to His Word in times of pain and suffering, in times of death. Where do we run? Where do we go? Well, we go to our refuge. We run to Christ. We run to His, His Word. And there is the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to remind us that all of God's promises, right? All of God's promises find their yes and their amen in who? In Christ. And therefore, we are secure. We are safe. We cling to that. The presence of God's Spirit. We must be conscious of our own frailty and fickleness. We rightly fear to stray when we side from the side of our great shepherd. One commentator says this, he says, God's continuous, gracious, sovereign work in our lives becomes for us an incentive to press on with fear and trembling. And once again, Paul will not let us escape with merely a theoretical point. As he says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, you remember? Look back there. He moves from a, a general exhortation to a specific shape of the command. So here he moves from general exhortation to the con concrete content. If we want to know just what that concrete content is, what Paul means when he tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we shall be left in no doubt. What does it look like? Well, that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna see here. A couple things I say: work out your salvation with fear and trembling is a submission to the Lord. It's a submission to the Lord. Remember that God is at work in you and He won't give up on you. Amen. He ain't gonna leave you when, when you mess up. Right? He may discipline you when you sin and you disobey. But when you mess up trying to go hard for the Lord, He doesn't come down with a heavy hand. No, He's a good Father. He's gentle with you. He's patient with you. Listen, trust in the Lord to work out 
what He has worked in you through salvation. And this involves our disciplining ourselves. We must spend time in God's Word. We must be people of the book. Let me ask you, are you spending time each day in God's Word? You must do that. You, you cannot fight the flesh within. As Paul tells us in, in Romans, to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. John Owen picked up and shared that. Really, Apostle Paul shared that first in Romans 8. Be killing sin or, or sin will be killing you. Kill the flesh, right? We cannot battle the world and all the temptation temptations that are out there. And we definitely can't battle the, 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 the great deceiver, Satan, if we don't know truth. He's not doing anything new, right? He's trying to get us. He's tempting us to want to be God and make decisions for ourselves with autonomy. I can do what I want to do. I'm a grown man. Tori reminded me this morning, I asked her how old I was. I'm 43. I'm not 42. I'll be 44 soon. Some of y'all may recognize you kind of forget the ages you keep clipping along there. And I know I'm still a young buck. I see somebody going, hey man, you're young. And I am. I am young, but it's clipping along. But as, I, as we get older, we got to be very, very uh, intentional men in particular. We are prideful. And we think we can do things on our own. We should be dependent upon the Lord. Even as we mature and grow in age. Right? The great theologian Michael Jordan said age is just a number. Right? Well, no it's not. It comes with limitations on things we can do physically. Right? He ain't playing basketball no more. Right? Enough of Michael Jordan. Press on in your pursuit of Christ's likeness. Discipline yourself to be a person of the book, to read the Word, to pray, to ask God to, to, to reveal to you truth and to teach you. Discipline yourself, as we'll see here in a minute, <laughs> um, to be a joyful person, to be a grateful person, be a thankful person. Take time in your journals. Write down what you're thankful for. I challenge you to do that today when you go home. Just take time and write down what you're thankful for. All the blessings of God on your life and in your family. Where He's brought you from to where you are now and where you're headed, right? There'll be too many to count if we're intentional. We should be thankful to the Lord. So, live a life of discipline. Live a life of determination and dependence. Determination and dependence. Well, where do you get this at, Pastor Zad? Look at verse 14. Do all things. So now we see a, a doing a working, working out, doing, see these verbs? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Living a life of determination. We live in a culture, and y'all see it all around. Everyone is entitled now. No one wants to work hard for anything, right? They just want it to be given to them. Things that you sacrifice. Some of you senior adults, you sacrifice and, and, and the Lord has blessed you because of hard work and dedication to a job 30, 40 years. And you have certain things. Many late teenagers, right? College students, those just starting the workforce is wanting all these things, but they haven't put in any work. I'm entitled to get this, right? And I'm entitled to get it now. Just go through the drive-thru fast food. 
right? Go through a fast food drive-thru and let them mess up somebody's order or take a good, you know, take time with this, right? It's going home the other night and I stopped by Burger King to get one of those healthy burgers, that Whopper with cheese, okay? I didn't do bacon, so it's healthy, right? Just kidding. I think there'll be bacon in heaven. At least I hope there will. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, it's not in my notes. But it, I was at Burger King in the drive-thru for about 40 minutes. And I felt in myself, now I've been, I've been marinating on this text, and I was like, gosh, I feel so aggravated right now. Like, look, I want this 99 cents burger that you're charging me 550 for or whatever it is. You know, it's not worth a whole lot. You know, a cheap burger, but... I wanted it now. Why do we do that? Why? Well, we're prideful people. We're, we're an entitled people. We're self-centered. So many today are looking for a handout instead of working hard. And in the Christian life, listen, there is a work to do. You must discipline yourself and you must have some resolve in your life. Just as Daniel did. Right? He was a, he's a good example of this. He purposed in his heart See, in Daniel chapter 1, that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or the wine in which he drank. And he led three other young men. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their Hebrews' names was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He led them to continue to walk and obey the Lord in Babylon, a tough place, right? Much like what we live in now. Except it was worse then. People are looking for a hand. Now you got to discipline yourself. You got to determine in your heart and trust the promises of God. Trust the Lord. So many now complain about any everything, anything and everything. Just a complainer. We got any complainers out here? It don't take much. You know what'll make us complain? When things don't go the way we want them to. <laughs> we get sideways, y'all. <laughs> we get sideways and we get to grumbling and complaining. Paul says, do all things. This is how you're going to, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is what you need to do. You need to, you need to do all things without grumbling or questioning, complaining, so that you might be blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So what's he saying? You're going to be a display of a people that's different, right? See, when our hope is not in this world, but in the Savior of this world, and in one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and others who don't know Christ, that we want them to know Jesus, and to come into this fellowship, and to be a part of this faith family, to grow and love Christ, right? that looks different. And this, you're to live like this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is how the world lives. They grumble and complain. They get mad at at Burger King when they don't get the burger right, right? Or you're in line at the Christian chicken, the Christian hut, right? Chick-fil-A. God bless Chick-fil-A. If anyone has done the chicken sandwich right, it's our brothers and sisters at Chick-fil-A. My word, it's good. But boy, if they get that chicken sandwich wrong, or we're all foul. Something don't go right with our jobs. Something don't go right within our family or whatever. Politically, we just lose heart. We're, we're all taken back. What do we do? Well, we need to keep our focus upon the Lord. See, we're very self-centered and the Scriptures are leading us to be sun-centered, to be Jesus-centered, 
to live lives that are Christocentric, that Christ is the center of everything we do. Everything we do as a church family, when we gather, as we pray, we pray the Scriptures. We pray Christ. As we sing, we sing Christ. As we give, we give as unto Christ. As we preach, we preach Christ and Him crucified. Right? Paul says, I know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. Center your life on and in Christ. Be dependent upon Him. And you know what else? Just practically, nobody likes to be around a complainer. Do y'all? Anybody toot the horn if you really like a complaining person? No. Matter of fact, at some point you begin to avoid that brother or sister. You're like, man, I don't want to sit here and listen to this for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Right? And then just complain about every little thing. Now I understand, we all, we need to be genuine and honest about what we're dealing with. I'm not saying that, but just complaining about any and everything. Don't be grumbling about that. Don't be grumbling about the situation you're in. God is at work. See, that's what Paul's saying here. Don't be a grumbler. Live in contentment. That's the opposite of grumbling and complaining. i got to press on here. Live as a child of God because what you're doing, look at verse 15, the end there, you're, you're among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, I said this is communal sanctification. Therefore, my beloved, he's talking to the church at Philippi, these believers... Not just, he says you, but he's, it's, it's, it's together. Among whom you, the church, shine as lights in the world. In the backdrop of brokenness and decay of this world, we as brothers and sisters in Christ should be, should, should be little stars that are shining bright for the Lord. That's the image that Paul is trying to display here. The people in the first century here at Philippi would understand this clearly. I'll move on. But I want, I, want to, I want to share a little bit of this. Because what Paul's doing here in 14 and 15, he is selecting distinctive words and phrases to signal that he's alluding to Moses' description of that generation of Israelites who had experienced exodus from Egypt. They come out of Egypt, delivered from slavery. 430 years been crying out to the Lord. And God raises up a deliverer. One who shows us, like Jesus, he sends him to rescue his people. And what do they do? They experienced exodus, but then they died in the desert. The wilderness generation, what did they do? They grumbled against Moses. You can read Exodus 15, 24, 16, verse 2. And then they grumbled against the Lord himself, verses 16, chapter 16, excuse me. And so Moses described those Israelites no longer his children because they are blemished, he says. They are a crooked and twisted generation. You see what Paul is doing? He's picking up on that. Do we need the Old Testament? Absolutely. Each of these words Paul now embeds in, in the text that we read are calling his friends to a radically different response. They must not grumble and their commitment will show them to be Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, the grace of Christ is making former pagans there in Philippi into the people of God that Israel should have been. Instead, Israel's complaint and criticism of the way in which God was running 
their lives. They just complained and they grumbled. Right? Instead of Israel's blemished and twisted unbelief, we as Christians, we can display humility and honor and compassion toward one another. Right? Show honor to one another. See, Jesus' people, we as God's children, Jesus' people are unblemished. We are distinguished as God's people, as God's children, the children of God, by a confidence that holds fast and holds forth what? The word of truth. Look there in your text. He goes on. He says, verse 14, he, he, he dives into verse 16. He says, hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to it and we hold it out as this is what rescues us. And so we're to, we're to, what's the result? That we should stand out like stars at midnight. I love it out here, man. You come out here, you don't have all the lights of Knoxville, of Maribel and Alcoa. Then you can look up and you can see the stars that are lit. Paul is purposeful here in this. What he's doing, listen to, listen to what one commentator said. He says, he's painting a vivid portrait of the light to darkness contrast between Christians and the society that surrounds and scorns them. Paul invokes the imagery of another Old Testament text. Many of you know this, Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3. There Daniel predicts the day of resurrection. The old Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is known as Septuagint, was widely used in Paul's day. And it says this, Those who have insight will shine as lights of the sky, and those who are strong by my words as the stars of the sky forever and ever. See, Daniel's simile paints a vivid canvas for us, a skyscraper canvas for our imaginations. Carson says this, on the day of resurrection, when those who sleep in the dust arise either to everlasting life or to everlasting shame, those who have clung to God's word will shine like bright pinpricks of starlight against the pitch black backdrop of a spiritually darkened society. Only in Philippians 2.15 does Paul share this, telling the Philippians, you shine as lights in the world. And we hear the world you think of the planet but Paul's term here can be used in that way but it also refers to the entire universe the whole cosmos we're a display of God's grace shining Christ in us God working in us and working out of us grace and humility and confidence and contentment in life and it's a display of Christ to the universe you see the bigness of that that's massive how we live is massive. So we may hear the world and think of the planet Earth, Carson says, but Paul sometimes used it that way, but it can refer to the entire universe as a display of the order and beauty. So what is, what is he saying? You, the NIV says you shine like stars in the universe. That's a great translation. You shine like stars in the universe. We together do that. When we're together, man, it's bright. Right? It's bright. Ah, I gotta hurry on. So, just a couple of things. What do we need to do? Man, we need to look forward to the day of Christ. We need to look forward to the day of Christ. We're to persevere. Persevere in godliness and holiness. Be dependent upon the Spirit. Be accountable to the local church. 
Do you need to be a church member? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be a... Absolutely, you do. You need to yoke up together. We need to link arms together. We all need accountability in our lives from the pulpit to the pew. We need men and women who are invested in our lives. Men, you need godly men who, who know you and you know them. And ladies, you have some ladies that you know. Husbands, wives, that's the most intimate of relationships there. Your wife should know you well, men. And men, you should know your lives, wives, wives well. That's a lifetime of that, right? Getting to know more and more. Lastly, we should live a life of joyful and sacrificial obedience. Verses 16 and 18. My pages are flipping. I'm liable to start preaching in Ephesians. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, what do we do? Man, we look forward to the day of Christ. He says, I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What's Paul saying? He's picking up on Old Testament again. He's going back to the sacrificial system, right? He's going back to the sacrifice, the lamb before it would be uh, incinerated over the fire. The priest would come and he would pour wine on top so that there would be an aroma come. And Paul, Paul, what Paul's saying is that uh, in, in terms, I've heard it explained this way, is that everybody loves cake. Most people love cake, right? Birthday cake's good. Cake's good. Pound cake, my wife can hammer a pound cake out, right? Cakes are good. Well, when you put a little buttercream icing on top of that, Jewel, ooh, ooh, I know, lunch time's coming, you can get some cake now, right? Cake's good. When you put that icing, what Paul's saying is, I'm icing on top of you as the sacrifice. You're, you're the cake. Right? And I'm icing that over. And what does he mean? He's labored. He's been laboring with this church and other churches by teaching and preaching and instructing. Listen, you're the cake as the people of God. You're the sacrifice. Is your life a sacrifice? A joyful sacrifice to the Lord? That's what he's saying here. He said, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. That as, I, that as I labored, as Paul labors over the people and with the people when he could, that he didn't run in vain, his labor was not in vain. And how would it not be in vain? That they would live lives of sacrificial obedience, joyfully. Hey, my goal as your pastor is to see you mature and grow and lay your lives down for Christ and one another. To lay your lives down for others that they may know Jesus and grow in Him. Right? that we would mature in the Lord. That's my goal. That's my goal. That's God's goal. That's God's goal set out for His shepherds is to see you grow and mature. And joy would come as a result of that. Ah, there's so much. Be glad. Listen. Be glad and rejoice. You have been called, saved, chosen to live for Jesus. Amen, church? I close with this from Tony Merida. And that little commentary I offered to you at the beginning, he, he, he concludes with this in, in living a life of joy, sacrificial obedience. He says, how do we live in light of the truths of this Christian hymn in verses 6-11? This is how we live, church. And I close with this. In the shadow of the cross, and before the throne of God, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, giving a shining witness to a dark world 
by not grumbling, but holding out the word of life and rejoice through sacrificial service rooted in the grace of God and anticipating the coming day of Christ Jesus. We're not to sit back. We're to live out. We're to live out. Not to be complainers, but proclaimers of He who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen? I want us to be that. I want us to continue to grow in that. That has already begun, right? That's begun in you. Let's work that out through obedience to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your love and grace. Thank You, Father, for Your Word that You've given to instruct us. I pray that You, by Your Spirit, would take Your Word and build Your people. That your, the presence of Your Holy Spirit would be rich upon my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank You, Father, for what You have done, what You're doing, and what You're going to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have one song just to worship and respond and